0: Bring hidden danger A shift of wind Can snap the teeth Of any Mermaid's car
1: And welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Dave Cousins and Bringing in the Harvest. You'll be very familiar with Dave, seminal figure in uh, the British folk and prog rock scene and leader and and songwriter for one of the great bands, Straubs. And we'll be playing a range of songs from Dave and Straubs on this show. Welcome, Dave.
2: Uh, It's very nice to be with you.
1: It's, it's a real pleasure, and one of the reasons we're here is that uh, there is a new remastered and expanded version of The Boy in the Sailor Suit, which Bringing the, in the Harvest featured on. Can you tell me about the time in your life and what you were aiming for with that well,
2: album? Well, I I, the first solo album I made was back in 1972, and I hadn't made one since. And I had a whole bunch of songs that didn't seem to fit on any Straub's album that we were making at the time. And I thought, hang on, I wouldn't mind making an album. And I'd just recently moved to Kent from Teddington in West London. And I was really enjoying the countryside around me. And the more I got to know it, the more I was inspired by it. You could take a little walk up onto the cliffs overlooking the English Channel and find yourself beside a plaque reading... This was once an old airfield in in the second world War, and you thought, "Good heavens, you know, and it was just tucked away miles from anywhere yeah. and Then, as you drove around, you saw the wheat fields waving, and the whole then the whole emphasis of what Kent represented came home, bringing in the harvest represented the harvest but then in in these seventies, they closed down the coal fields, and there were Marches to part of the union and so on, and the miners went on strike. But there was a whole history of that. It was part of the whole area, and the, the coal mines. People didn't probably realise that the tunnels themselves went out miles into the English Channel, right. down down below the sea, and they were mining coal out there. And and then you have the whole hub, harb- the apples and the and the pear trees around the blossoms. And everything came, brought about that whole song, Bringing in the Harvest. It's a song that I wish somehow I could have got it into the English Book of Hymns or something, or whatever they call it, Uh, and then it could have been sung in schools and so on, but it wasn't to be.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's something about that melody uh, tied to those very evocative lyrics that do have that timeless feel to them. It
2: was strange. I, I wrote the thing on guitar, and I recorded the album in a studio with Miller Anderson, who played on that first album 25 years before, with Chaz Cronk on bass and Lonnie the drummer, Chris Hunt, and Ian Cutler on fiddle. And we tried the song, and it just didn't work with a group. And in the end, I put down the backing track with just me on guitar. And I phoned up the guy who was ha- looked after our records and stored them up in Corby. And I knew that he played organ in church, and got him to come down one Sunday. And he knew exactly what to do with it. He knew exactly how it should sound. Whereas, whereas the band that I was working with just didn't have a clue. Um, but whereas he did, because he'd been a, a church organist. And so it has got that lovely evocative feel about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Does that song or the album work on a few levels? Because I've, I've read a bit about that album, and you've it sort of touches on your father and, and family as well. Yes,
2: the dad I never knew; he died when I was six months old. Gosh. And there was my there's pictures. There are little thumbnail pictures beside all of the songs, and they are there's a picture of my dad. There's a picture of my grandmother with my dad, and they all bring back memories. Of course they do. But what was evocative was standing outside the pub. the heart It was the, the eclipse of the sun or moon. I can't remember. It was the important eclipse. I think mm-hmm. the moon disappeared totally. And stand or the, no, the sun, I just can't remember now which one it was, standing outside the pub, and everything went very dark and still. And I looked up at it and thought how lonely it was, and then reflected back on my dad, who died in a submarine. What an appalling way to die be, um, below the sea. Yeah. Unable to get out, totally trapped. And it it became very, very sad to me. And so the album's is tinged with sadness all the way through. But it's, there is a joyous element to it as well.
1: Yeah. We'll be coming back to uh, The Boy in the Sailor Suit to close the uh, show today. So what we uh, typically do on on the podcast is um, start towards the beginning and then work our way back okay. up. Okay. Your story reaches back into to the sort of early and mid 60s and the Strawberry Hill Boys. And, you know, the music that people often associate with you is some of the. From that early period, is, is when you uh, linked up with Sandy Denny and you and Sandy recorded, I guess, I assume, the first version of Who Knows Where the Time Goes. How did you um, connect with Sandy in that period?
2: Um, I, I went down to a folk club, the Troubadour in Earl's Court. Uh, late one night back coming back from a gig and just walked down the stairs to see who was playing and there was this young girl sitting on a stool and I can remember her to this day wearing a long white dress playing a Gibson Hummingbird guitar with a white straw hat on and singing an old Gaelic song called Fear About Her mm. and I was absolutely mesmerised by her and after she came off stage I, I went up to her and said can I introduce myself she said who are you Sandy did have a sort of belligerent attitude. I said, Dave Cousins. She's, I said, would you like to join a group? She said, what's the name of the group? I said, Straub. She said, mm, "Yeah, all right. <laughs> it was a really bizarre conversation. Uh, she, we were we'd doing lots of BBC radio shows at the time, and we were getting very well known, but we hadn't made a record. Yeah. and in folk club circles we were you know very popular and so it wasn't unlikely that she would join us but we made a, an arrangement to meet up the following week and it was, i remember it was a wednesday night and went round to a flat in west london and walked in a flat at seven o'clock in the evening and i'm not exaggerating at all came out at 7 o'clock in the morning and we'd been singing all evening and all night and these were all totally new songs that nobody had ever heard before and somehow myself, Tony Hooper and Sandy our voices blended beautifully I croaked away in the bottom end and Tony <laughs> sang as part of the lead with her and Sandy was absolutely mesmerised by the songs and I put my guitar in the various different tunings that I used at the time and still do mind you and yeah. uh it somehow it all clicked and i went back home and i hadn't told my wife i going to stay out all night i went back home and she was saying where the hell have you been <laughs> but it, you know i explained to her and she understood but then we started meeting up once a week or twice a week to rehearse these songs and the more we rehearsed the more we realized we had something unusual and special so we agreed to make some demos Went into a studio, made the demos. I took them round to a couple of record companies. That I got to know. They weren't interested. But in the end, a friend of mine took the tape over to Copenhagen, because he was a DJ on a, a English DJ on a radio on the national radio station over there, and he'd married a Danish girl and was living in Copenhagen. And he took the record tape, and I had a call out of the blue from the boss of sonic Records in Denmark saying, I like your record very much. It is the best <laughs> thing I've heard since the Beatles, and I would like to sign you to my label.
3: Um, but nice he can't fun.
2: resist an offer like that. And he sent a contract over, and in the end, we all signed the contract, and he said you, I'd like you to come to Copenhagen to make a record. So we all piled on the train up to Newcastle, as it was then, got on the boat, and overnight we went off to Copenhagen, got the train into, well, into Copenhagen, we landed at Aarhus, and we were met on the platform by Carl Knudsen, a small man, very enthusiastic, who took us to the offices of Sonic Records. We were expecting to be put up in a hotel, and no, there were camp beds laid out in the offices, (laughs) but we didn't mind. And Sandy was, you know, mucked in, In the morning, I got up and went into the kitchen. She had the ironing board out, and she was ironing her hair. I said, what the hell are you doing? She said, I'm straightening my hair. And she had a wet tea towel on top of her hair, and she had the iron, and she was ironing her hair straight. Uh, But that was Sandy Then You you never knew what she was going to do next. But we went into the studio that morning. It was in an old cinema we could only record during the day. And the first song we put down was On My Way. And we double-tracked the vocals, which we'd never done before. And we sat back and went, wow. We had a, There were three of us. We had a string bass, two acoustic guitars, Sandy singing as well. And they brought in a drummer for us who was the best jazz drummer in Denmark. And we just listened to that first track and we went, wow, what have we done? Um, had that come out at the time, it would have been a hit single. But it wasn't to be. But anyway, that whole album was remarkable. And while we have been rehearsing, I said to Sandy, have you got any songs that we we could try? And so I've got this one. And she sang us Who Knows Where the Time Goes. And I knew it was a magical song. But uh, I tried to play guitar to her play guitar playing. But she had a very unique style of playing. And so when we put the record out, she did it entirely on her own. And it was absolutely mesmerizing. It was the first time the song had ever been recorded. And they brought in a string quartet to go with it. And that first album had, uh, well, the first version of it came out, I think, without the strings. But when I put out the revised version of it, I put it out, the string version as well. They sound a bit sort of scrapey and strange, But it was a a magical experience of being in Copenhagen with Sandy all that time. It was only for a week. It was absolutely fabulous. And I can still remember those moments, every moment of it to this day.
3: the purple sky, all the birds are leaving, but how can they know it's time for them to go? deserted shore, your fickle friends are leaving. Ah, oh, but then you know, it's time for them to go.
1: Was it Sandy leaving for Fairport that kind of put the the mockers on what was such a, a promising start for you all?
2: Uh, no, it was very curious in a curious way. It was the beginning of our career, right? Because Carl Knudsen was the distributor in in Scandinavia of the A and M catalog. Oh, and the international director of A and M Records came to Copenhagen to visit Carl. And Carl said, I've got to play you this record. And he played him our record with Sandy Denny. He fell in love with it, took it back to Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss, who were the A&M and, of A&M Records. They absolutely adored it and said, we want to sign you to the label. Well, by that time, Sandy had only just left the group and decided, because I couldn't get a record deal in England, it took six months. Mm. And see, no record deal was coming. And when I did get one, she got a cold feet because it was a pop record label. And she was a bit nervous of that. So she went off to Fairport Convention. But they said, well, we still want to sign you because we love the songs. And so they sent us $15,000 over. We looked at it in astonishment. And they said, we want you to make a single. Hmm. And so we made our very first single, which was uh, Oh, How She Changed. Uh, and even that's got an extraordinary story to it, but I'll come back to that for you.
1: Listening now, and I don't know if it's because it's been remastered, it's such a lush and gorgeous sound, and the orchestration is brilliant on that.
2: Well, it was extraordinary, because when A&M said we wanted to make a single, I said, well, who's going to produce the record? Mm. They said, oh, go and find yourselves a producer. Well, we didn't know any record producers, but it so happened that Tony Hooper lived in West London, in a block of flats and on the ground floor was an engineer from Decca Records called Gus Dudgeon. <laughs> and so we went down and played Gus Dudgeon our songs and he'd just produced a first album by Ralph McTell, eight frames a second. We played him our songs and he said, I love that one. Oh how she changed. That's the one we should do that but as a single. So he said, Yes, I'll be your producer And he'd only produced one album which so far which was of <laughs> Ralph McTell. He said, but we'll need an arranger for it. He said that this young guy who'd just come into our office, he had an office um, with his manager in Oxford Street, he said, his name's Tony Visconti, I'll introduce you to him. So he went along and met Tony, got on famously, he adored the song and said, I'd love to do the arrangement for it. And it turned out it was the first full orchestra arrangement he'd ever done. The only arrangement he'd done before was for the single Flowers in the Rain by the move, where he put the flutes on it. Yeah. We're all just flowers in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> and Tony, that was the only thing he'd done up till then. So he came in. <laughs> so we went into the studio <laughs> to make the record. as a folk group, the Straubs as we were then, with two acoustic guitar, Ron played string bass on the record on Chesterman I had my guitar in, in an open a B minor tuning and I hacked away at it <laughs> in, in this modal tuning and we, we sort of sang the vocals in the morning, listened to it and it sounded like a bunch of medieval monks having had a, a, a crate of mead you know, <laughs> and got pissed uh, but in the end, in the afternoon Tony Visconti came in with the orchestra Tristan Fry came in on on, on Timpani and they we put the track down and uh, it sounded unbelievable. And when we listened back in the studio, everybody just, their jaws dropped because it was extraordinary. Yeah. And when people realized that the straws had been signed to A&M Records, nobody had heard of A&M Records in the UK. Mm. The only record they put out was a Herb Alpert album. Uh, so nobody did. We were the first British band signed to A&M Records. Hmm. And there we were, a folk group. And the hilarious thing is, when they were putting the record out as a single, we thought, well, we'd better go and visit A&M Records. And they were in Neesden at the time in a in a sort of industrial warehouse. And we were, Tony and I walked into the door and said, hi, we're the Straubs. They said, oh, when did you fly in? <laughs> we said, Flying from where? They said America. They said, we didn't fly, we were English. We came from Hounslow. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they said, oh, and so there was great uh, hilarity about it. But the single came out and it got instant airplay and we got, we appeared on a Tony Blackburn TV show, yeah. much to everybody's astonishment, there were the guys who were the Strawberry Hill Boys one minute <laughs> with playing American Bluegrass Minute. The next thing you know, the Strawbs have turned into a, a, a pop band <laughs> with an orchestral single. It was unbelievable.
4: She leaned forward. I i see
1: You were on your way then uh, as a group, which um, led to so many great records. The next song is "We'll Meet Again" sometime. This time being a a studio version of that song. Yep. Come back to that song kind of live quite a lot, but this was a a studio version of that track that I've read that it actually got withdrawn a, a B-side.
2: Uh, well, we did it with Tony Visconti uh, producing because I'd fallen out with Gustardum by then because he's. On the first app, when the first Straubs album came out called Straubs, I argued with him all the way through because I said, you you, you haven't mixed my voice up and you can't hear the lyrics. He said, your voice is so bad, they won't want to listen to your voice. They can read the words on the sleeve. So I immediately fell out with Gus. We became friends again many Mm. years later. But we decided that Tony Visconti we got on much better with. And so Tony wanted to produce us. And so the song that we decided to do... There were two of them. One was a song called Forever, and the other one was We'll Meet Again Sometime. And when I listened back to it, they put Tim up. We'll Meet Again Sometime, boom, 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 boom. And I thought, oh, my God, what's that? And so that got abandoned in the end. And so when I heard the, the eventuals you know, heard it all these years later on the reissue, it, I, was, I was amazed. It would never have been a hit single in a million years. But, do you know, we still sing that song today on stage. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's lasted all these years, over 50 years.
1: Did you re- record it for the Broken Hearted Bride album from about a decade ago as well?
2: Yeah, we did. We we were short of a track on the album. And I thought, well, we've never done the song properly. Mm. And somehow we didn't do it properly then. We recorded, <laughs> it, we recorded it acoustically. Uh, and just the three of us, thought, well, didn't like the sound of that particularly. So we then overdubbed drums and electric bass on it and keyboards. And I still didn't like it, but it it became out as a sort of archive track, I decided to call it. Mm. Just I'm being brutally honest, to fill the album up. Mm. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. I should have written another song.
1: Maybe it was just a, a song that was just destined to remain live. <laughs>
2: well, it, we we, we, finish this, we finish all of our sets with it and it just works.
1: Yeah, it's got that anthemic appeal to it.
2: Yeah, but somehow, yeah. It now sounds more like, it's astonishing, Lambert and Dave Lambert and I singing together. It's got real guts in it, in the vocals, mm. which we we'd never had in the early days.
0: We'll meet again sometime
5: me the remainder of my
0: days our time has now decided that we must go our individual ways
1: Next, we moved forward a couple of years to the Hangman and the Papist. Yep. Another key Straub's track. Um, that was inspired by a, a visit to Belfast?
2: It was, yes, and it was extraordinary. We we went over there to play in a pub and it was, there were people going in and out of the pubs, you know, really happy moments. But when we went back again, by then the troubles had started and the pubs were shut up. There were troops driving around the streets in the back of Jeeps with loaded rifles and guns. And it, I became, we were shocked by it. Yeah. And, but I thought back to the fact that my dad died, well, as I said, when I was very, very, well, didn't, six months old. And my mum married again when I was six. But I was baptised as a Catholic. But my second dad was a Protestant. And for some reason, I have no idea why, he refused to have the Catholic priest in the house.
6: Right.
2: And so there was a, a di- my, my brother and sister were both baptized as Protestants. And so there's a division of between religions in my, in my own house, which I saw firsthand in Belfast with a difference between Catholics and Protestants over there. Yeah. And so I imagined the whole story of two brothers growing up on the other side of the religious fence, one a Catholic, one a Protestant. Uh, But I set it back in, you know, 200 years. Mm. Obviously there was this guy in jail for being, refusing to show allegiance to the King because he was a a Catholic. And they decided they were going to hang him. Um, But they chose the hangman from a group of soldiers Mm. by lot. And, when the hangman came out on the to, to hang the papist, and suddenly realised he was hanging his brother. Now that song was immensely powerful at the time, mm. uh, in in what the lyrics were about. But what made it even more spectacular was Rick Wakeman's unbelievable organ introduction to the song. In the studio, we were mesmerized. And it was the first song I'd actually sung on a record, sung done, sung it live in the studio. So that vocal is live as it happened. Wow. Uh, it was the only way I could do it. There was no way I could think of putting a backing track down and singing that song and getting any intensity into it. And uh, there we were. We were suddenly, uh, we were booked to go on Top of the Pops to do the first ever album spot on Top of the Pops. Yeah. And they they said, What what are you going to sing? And we said, This song, The Hangman and the Papist. Well, they'd lined up Pans People for us, and that didn't fit, obviously. But there we were, we went on and did it. I could have broken it. I didn't realise what he'd done. It was only when I saw the playback of Top of the Pops two days later that I realised that Rick had taken a paint roller in with him (laughs) and was playing the organ with a paint roller, which I thought took the whole atmosphere of the song away um made a joke of it i was bloody furious (laughs) but anyway we we we, we, we're still the best of friends i I emailed him last week to see how he was and he emailed back and said i'm fine thanks we stayed the best of friends for 50 years so there was no hard feeling and shortly after that he went off and joined yes and there was still no hard feeling.
0: still in force The streets are even clear of dogs and horse. Like some evil bird of prey The scaffold spreads its wings The people build their fires and bolt their doors The mayor is giving dinner to the officers and wives His eldest son is learning how to fawn the block is hushed and tense, The soldiers drawing lots Who will be the hangman in the dawn? The lot falls on a young man who has served for but a year His home is in the village close nearby He shivers at the thought of what he is forced to do next day He wonders who it is that has to die The full moon casts a cold light on the gloomy prison wall The papist walks his down, he cannot sleep Take like, on
1: Am I right? There's a bit of a tie with Rick leaving Straub's with the next song, Benedictus?
2: Yes, there is. When Rick left the band, uh, I really genuinely thought, well, we were so popular at the time with Rick, I thought, this is the end of the band. What the heck am I going to do? So I thought, shall I just give it all up and forget about it? And at the time, I had a little tiny cottage, two up and two down with no loo in it, down in Devon and I went down there to think what shall I do and I took my dulcimer with me I didn't take a guitar and also took a book called the I Ching which is an old Chinese philosophical book where you'll ask it a question throw the coins up in the air work out how many times it comes up with two heads or a tail whatever it, was, whatever it was and then you go to the appropriate uh, pages it tells you to go to in the book and out came the words of Benedictus, The wanderer has far to go, wow. humble must he constant be, Where the paths of wisdom lead, distant is the shadow of the setting sun. And I've looked back at that book years and years later, over and over again, and I can't find those words anywhere, but they're somewhere in that book. Wow. I'd have to read the whole thing from cover to cover to find them. But they came. that's how they came out. But it said, the wanderer has far to go. I interpreted that as me being the wanderer. Humble must he constantly be, being humble, which I've tried to be. Uh, Where the powers of wisdom lead, the thing to do is to be wise. Distant is the shadow of the setting sun. And so I took that as being the words telling me to carry on with the band.
1: It's amazing how sometimes things slot into place.
2: Well, it's extraordinary, and that what is more extraordinary now is the introduction on the record was played by Blue Weaver, who took over from Rick. Yes. And we're making a new Straubs album at the moment called Strange Times, and it's being produced by Blue Weaver. And so, again, we're the best of friends. The Straubs is a family. Yeah. We fall out from time to time, but by and large, it's a family that we'll stays together.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've had so many, so many great musicians come and come and go over the last 50 years. It's it's incredible.
2: It's, it's extraordinary when I think back that I believe we've had the best lineup of keyboard players of any band in the world. Yeah. We had uh, Rick Wakeman, Blue Weaver, Lou left us and joined the Bee Gees band and played on six consecutive number one hit singles in the USA. Amazing. Unbelievable. And Saturday Night Fever. Uh, in fact, he his, his website is Saturday Night Weaver, which is quite <laughs> funny. But we, I, I spoke to him a, a, about an hour ago. Um, we're talking about the new album and he's circulating another song to the band. But he lives in Germany now. So here am I putting down the backing track for or the, the demo track for a song, working all the bars out totally in absolute detail of who plays what where, sending it over to Blue. He puts it all together, puts my guitar figure that I put on it, sends it out. Dave Lambert sent back his electric guitar figures. That's all been incorporated. It's been chopped and changed again, and it's gone back to the band for more overdubs. But the blues is loving doing it. He emailed me and said, there's one old git doing, writing the songs and there's another old git producing a record. Who'd ever thought it? And it, it really is it's fabulous, working together again after all these years.
1: Was the start of the show when you were talking about the boy in the sailor suit you were talking about you had some material that just didn't feel right for strobs was that the uh, genesis of your debut album two weeks last summer and we're playing a blue angel
2: very much so the the genesis of that was that we made the song the album with we'd, we'd made grave new world yeah and i i'd come up with uh the song Down by the Sea. And putting that down with the band was like pulling teeth at the time because uh, <laughs> John Ford said, I don't want to do these long songs again. God, dear, that's too much of like hard work. I want to do three-minute pop songs. And I said, no, no, no. You, you know, we, we, Yes, we had an argument. Believe it or not, John Ford's on the new album as well. So <laughs> we've stayed, stayed friends. Uh, we've written a song together. Uh, but anyway, there was this argument about doing long songs, and I had a very long song called Blue Angel that I wanted to do, and I knew I was wasting my time wanting to do it, trying to get the band to do it. So I decided I'd go off and do a solo album on my own and do it, do it on that. And I happened to have several songs that didn't seem to fit with the straws at the time. They were very personal songs. Uh, there was again, there was a sort of a slight hymnal song with it. Uh, there was October to May uh, and there was the song Two Weeks Last Summer yeah. and that again it was a very curious song because I, I was doing it in a, a modal tuning and I wanted Roger Glover of Deep Purple to play on the, on the album and he said well, we, I spoke to him on the phone he said well I'd, 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 I'd like to do it but I'd, I'd, we've got to get together first because I'm not sure whether I can do these songs that you're talking about so I went round to his house and we got on famously and I played in a song. He said, God, that's interesting. He said, have a listen to this. And he played me the first JJ Kale album yeah. that came out. He'd just got that. And I heard this wah-wah slide guitar. And he said, I've got an idea for that. And he got out a fretless bass and started to play wah-wah fretless bass while I was playing my <laughs> song in a modal folk tuning and it worked beautifully we went in the studio and recorded it and it became the opening song on the album (laughs) so so, you know but uh, I've remained again friends with Roderick Lover every time people see him and say he always says give my regards to Dave he's never forgotten that album
0: I need need no questions Born on the quest for a wave of half-peace Fied in a Dresden-China couplet found in the chains of the half- Failed to reach its half life. Tender moments left half spoken, lost like an orphan in the pleasures of the dream state. Seem to come and go at will. I will be your servant, your ever constant guide. When all is lost, remember.
1: I mean, 1972 was um, such a prolific period for you, and, and that was the year where you had a, a huge UK hit with "Lay Down." I, I've chosen—I think it's a, a live version that you did with Brian Willoughby in the yeah, yeah. in the late right. seventies. Yeah. I've heard that the, the lyrics have got—you you base them on the 23rd Psalm. Is that, is that correct? It,
2: it, yes, it sort of was. What happened was we we had the big hit with Lay Down, but the story behind it was that we'd done a show up in the north of England, and I'll I'll tell the truth now. Somebody had given me a magic mushroom. Well, I didn't know what to do with it. So we stopped in the – because I didn't smoke anything or something at all. But we stopped in a motorway service, and I bought a bowl of vegetable soup and chopped this thing up and stuck it in it. And when I got back in the van, I was, woo, <laughs> And I picked up a guitar in the back of the van and got it out and started hacking away. And I played the chords over and over again for lay down all the way <laughs> from the Midlands down to Bristol. <laughs> but by the time I got home to my little cottage down in Devon, I had much of the song worked out, but not the words. Yeah. But I sat in that cottage and I looked out over the fields with the sheep grazing in the fields and... It came down in some that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. Lay, you know, etc. Mm. And I suddenly thought, by still waters, I lay down with the lamb in pasture's green. I made peace with my soul, and it all began to fit. So, although it's not actually based on the twenty-third psalm, it's inspired by. Yeah,
1: in terms of that version, you um, you worked with Brian Willoughby on that album, Old School Songs, where you kind of revisited uh, some of your earlier work?
2: Well, it it was the time that the the band, our management had decided they didn't want to support us anymore. We'd made a new album called Heartbreak Hill, which in my opinion was one of the best albums we ever made that was never released at the time.
6: Mm.
2: And so that album was abandoned. And I thought, well, I'll go out and do some shows, folk club shows, and I knew Brian of old from folk club days. And we went out as a duo. And then I thought, well, we might as well make an album together. So we put down old school songs and it sold in in, in bucket loads. I was really astonished. We did the Cambridge Folk Festival with Ry Cooder headlining. Yeah. And and Dave Cousins and Brian Willoughby's album old school songs sold far more records <laughs> than, <laughs> than, than the headline act, than Ry Cooder. We met him in the lift. That was about it. And he didn't say a word. He, he was a but but um, kept himself to himself, shall we say? But anyway, we went down a storm at that festival and sold loads of records. Hmm. But anyway, um, that album has, has become a collector's item. It came out in America in a collector's item a bit edition, and continues to sell to these day, to these days. And I, I I enjoy listening to it very much.
0: I lay down But if I last In pastures Green I make peace With my soul And I cannot fall for The night While my guiding star Shone bright My still waters I lay down Lay down, I lay me down Lay down, I lay me down Lay down, I lay me down For my soul At the roadside, at the took Of my times
6: Round
0: up the streets I found peace for my soul lay When my spirit came to rest in deep sorrow.
1: Next we have what is a pivotal track and many people's favourites. I mean, there's many, many standout moments from Hero and Heroine. And Autumn is one of those. And that album has been ranked as one of the great albums of all time. And that suite of songs in particular in Autumn is, is something that seems to resonate with people too.
2: It's resonated down the years and has lasted and survived better than many, many songs could do. Now again, the curious story there is that for inspiration, we went back to record in Denmark, oh. uh, back in not in that same studio, but in another studio with the same engineer. And that was inspirational in itself. But the song Autumn was really, I'd, I'd written the, the end of it first, you know, the piano piece, hold on to me, I'll hold on to you. Mm. And the other part, But in the studio, we put down the opening part of it, which was the boom, boom, ba-dum, boom. And it was very slow and measured. And John Hawkins, who joined us by then on keyboards, was not really a a synthesizer player at all. He was a beautiful piano player, a marvelous piano Mm. player. But he'd never really experienced melatrons and synthesizers. But that particular one, he got this deep, majestic growl out of it. And it set the whole tone of the album. Mm. And when it came out, the album came out at the time when FM radio was exploding in America, especially in New York and up in Canada, in Montreal, of all places it started, and Toronto. And uh, in every, apparently at that time, in every student accommodation block, every other room was playing that record at the same time it appealed to students and that song now every time we play it when we go back to America which well Lord knows when we'll go back at the Mm -hmm. moment but there you go but every time we play it we always get people coming up after the show and saying we got married to that song and we say, oh, did you? And they say, yes, it was either the song they, they had their first dance to. It's the end part, not the not the opening section, the boom, boom, bitty, boom, it was the hold on to me section. And they either walked down the aisle to it or they had their first dance to it. And it's not just one or two people. It's hundreds of couples have come up and said that they have had that experience of the song and that's i believe is the longevity of straw's music is the fact that people identify with the lyrics of the songs yes they like the tunes but the lyrics they identify with personally and they mean something very deep to them i've had people literally i had a young girl knock on my door when i was living in devon who said i'm a great fan of yours and I introduced myself. I said, well, come in. And she stayed for a couple of days and I realised who she was. She was a young girl who'd written to me saying, I've been in hospital and I've I've had 12 electric shock treatments and I've recovered from listening to your music. It is that sort of impression that the songs have had on people that I believe is responsible for our longevity. On a lighter theme, we were playing in Denver, Colorado And after the show, a guy came up and said, can you sign my arm? And he pulled up his sleeve and I said, yeah. So myself, Dave Lambert and Chaz Grant signed our autographs on his arm. The next thing I know, the next day he went to the tattooist and had our signatures tattooed on his arm Hmm. and then took a photograph of it and put it up on his Facebook page. Hmm. (laughs) So we've had that sort of deep Mm. deep impression on people and it still pervades to this day
1: we have ghosts. What inspired you to produce that track?
2: Well, we were in Indianapolis, staying there, at a hotel in the centre of the city. And outside the hotel window was this 120-foot-tall uh, tower. The soldiers and soldiers say there's more, uh, monument. On top of it, there was a winged angel of victory. And at night, there's a staircase all the way up to the top of the tower not that I walked up it, but there are are marble lions around it on guard around these fountains. And on top was this winged angel and at night it's lit up with a blue light. Mm. And no matter how tight you drew the curtain in your window, in your room, the blue light came in through the window. So going to bed after a few beers down below in the bar, you wake up and there's this blue light coming at you. And I suddenly woke up with this, almost a nightmare. And... Out of that came uh the the idea of of the, the song as the lion's eyes dance before me, there's scary let bloody red I can see a like, Tell me children, are you sleeping? Are you innocent like me? May you never cross the line, I hope your dreams are not like mine. So it set the whole scene for it and then you go into the nightmare sequence in the middle of it, where Dave Lambert plays brilliant guitar and sings it. And then you go into the end section where you wake up in the morning and there's the the trees are tapping the window pane. You open it up and the nightmare's gone. So essentially, it was written around a nightmare. See, a nightmare.
1: Yeah, you really get that
2: feel. I, I do do I do do some strange <laughs> things.
1: we get to uh, I think about 1976 the album Deep Cuts and the song Turn Me Round by the time we get to this period were you conscious in just in terms of updating your sound moving things on a bit
2: well by that time John Horgan had left the group and we'd picked up a John Mealing on keyboard from the band If the jazz rock band yeah. an incredible player but jazz influenced but I suddenly thought well we can't, you know, do that. You know, jazz won't suit us. So I then had the bright idea of bringing in Robert Kirby, who'd done arrangements on our albums, yeah. to play as a second keyboard player, to play the Mellotron. So what we had was a fabulous organ player and piano player, but also somebody who could play the orchestral parts. Yeah. The sound of the band turned into a huge sound. There was arguments about it in America, Oh, God, John Hawking was so good that they needed two keyboard players to replace him. It wasn't that <laughs> at all. I just wanted the sound to be wonderful, and it was. But by then, the sound had changed, and we'd moved, changed record labels from A&M, which was a ghastly mistake that we should never have done. Yeah. But the record label was looking for hit singles. And so we were looking to make uh, they everything hinged around getting that elusive hit single. And so, Turn Me Round was designed not as a hit single, but it was a rock song that could easily have been, in my opinion, a hit single. But it was never released as one, but there you go. Yeah. But uh, the sound of it is amazing. And we had Rupert Holmes producing it. Now, there's a strange combination Rupert Holmes and Jeffrey Lesser. Yeah. The album they produced before that was Barbara Streisand's latest <laughs> album. Wow. So they came from Barbara Streisand to the Straubs, which was. <laughs> but they. They were very inspiring. They had an incredibly good engineer in Jeffrey Lesser, mm. and a totally inspiring producer for me or of the musical side in Rupert Holmes, who I've, I got on famously with. And Dave Lambert, not necessarily so well, but nonetheless, that didn't matter in, in the end. Mm. But uh, I got on famously with Rupert, and he was the one who guided us through the choral harmonies and so on. And I think that turned me around as a great example. Of a Straubs track, as, as really uh, we'd gone away from being a prog band, we'd yeah. gone on to be an, an arena band by then.
0: In, Jew, in my studio Made up of words On the canvas
4: Short E-Done In his eerie booth
0: <laughs> Turn me wrong Clear my vision Let me see the light turn
1: Was it the problems with your labels that ultimately, by I don't know, I assume about 1980, which meant that you kind of um, dissembled Straubs for much of the decade?
2: Yes, it was that exactly that. We we changed labels to. It was Roger Glover who spoke about about half an hour ago, mm. dear Roger, who with Deep Purple, the bass player, who they'd started their own Deep Purple label called Oyster and wanted the straws on the label. And so they paid us a huge advance, which was actually more than A&M were paying us. But Oyster were distributed by Polydor, who were brand new to America and did not have the promotion muscle in any way, shape or form that A&M had. And so the record didn't do as well as our previous A&M albums. And then we made another album for them that didn't do as well as that either, And then they decided, we decided we didn't want to be with Oyster anymore. We then had an offer from Clive Davis and Arista Records to sign with them. We made an album from them, which by that time, Mm. our records weren't selling as well in the States as they had done. We made the album Heartbreak Hill, which our management decided to abandon. And so I decided I've had enough of the music business. I'm going off to work in the radio business, which I did. Actually, for nearly 20 years.
6: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I hardly played at all in that time. I did a f- did the occasional shows here and there, but nothing at all in any way, shape or form to the extent that I've played before.
1: It's great to look back over the last 20 years, which has seen a huge renaissance of, of Straubs in terms of your live shows. And, and, and of course, recording new material... One of my favourite tracks is Copenhagen from Dancing to the Devil's Beat. And uh, again, I've read that that's got a a bit of a a link to Sandy Denny, is that correct?
2: Well, everything everything takes us back, all (laughs) the way back to Sandy Denny and Copenhagen in the early days. The album with Dancing to the Devil's Beat, we had Oliver Waitman playing with us by Henrik's eldest son who, incidentally, did exactly what his father did, left us to join Yes. <laughs> so we're the only band that's had, we've had all three Waitman, Adam Wakeman playing with us as well, yeah. and Don Airy as well, who's now the organ player, with Deep Purple, which is another link with Roger Glover.
6: Mm. Isn't
2: that extraordinary? Yeah. So all these people interlock with one another. Chaz came up with a lovely tune for Copenhagen, and I thought, hang on, Chaz, I've got an idea. And I looked back at those days when we were in, in Copenhagen with Sandy. And I wrote the lyrics for that song. Several years ago, a day in early spring, I heard a, a skylark, skylark sing. In a slow-kiss winter movie, there's a slow-kiss winter scene. Uh, your pretty face is glistening with tears. And it all goes back reflecting on being with Sandy. Yeah. How how the last time I saw her was just after we'd made our last Arista album, and I had to phone Clive Davis up, the MD, and say, I'm leaving the radio promotion tour that I'm doing, Clive. My dear friend Sandy Denny has just died, and I'm going back to the funeral. Mm, mm. And he was furious at the time, but I had to go. Yes. And so... I mean, it was it was not meant to be the Arista connection. But I came back, and the funeral was one of the saddest events I've ever been to in my life. Mm. But that still left a lasting impression on me. And I still look back on those times. I can still see Sandy now sitting beside me with her baby on her breast, with a large whiskey in her hand and a joint in the other hand. <laughs> you know, But that was Sandy. Mm. But I look back on it, and I wrote the song about Copenhagen, and I, I just love it and we still do it on stage now.
0: Your pretty face is glistening with tears And that half-remembered man Silent and singing The town hall bells are chiming down the years. Street, our fortunes came to pass. We washed away our cartoons in the Copenhagen ring You were drifting in a mile of broken dreams. A thin veneer of love hid the tantrums and the pain. A photograph is set on what it seems. to catch the ink before it drives The audience was drawn to a typically garden still Our future, future passed us before us through, us through their eyes
1: Almost there, we we get to our penultimate track. And uh, relatively up-to-date, the title track from the Straub's album, The Ferryman's Curse, I understand that's a a bit of a a sequel to uh, an earlier Straub song?
2: It is. uh, It's a sequel to "Vision of the Lady of the Lake, which appeared on our second album, Dragonfly. And curiously, was the first track that Straub's track that Rick Waven played on. So there's a link there musically, but also all those years have gone by and I, I still thought back on the song and it was a very popular song in its day despite the fact it was 12 minutes long um and i look back on it and i've always thought i could write a sequel to that yeah and i went on holiday to italy and sat beside a swimming pool in about two or three hours i'd written the whole thing about 16 verses of the sequel to it what happened to the boatman? The boatman in the first issue got consumed by the seven deadly sins, but nobody knew what what might have become of him. Yeah. So I decided to write the sequel to it: how he'd settled down in later life, he'd had a had a daughter, and uh, he was married, and he was still going up and down the, in the in the ferrying people up and down to towns around. And overnight, this strange man turned up on the door, uh, who was, it turned out to be the ferryman himself uh, from the other world. I've come come to collect you. Come and No, i come to collect your wife, rather, who's, who was seriously ill.
6: Yeah, yeah.
2: And I wrote this whole fantasy story. It could be something like a Game of Thrones idea, which I've actually been working on, of turning it into approaching something someone like netflix and saying this is the other side of the world and this is the story of the boatman and what happened to the the identical families on either side wow so who knows that might one of these days appear
1: (laughs) That's (laughs) off.
0: Lived in a stone built house, three score years and ten on earth. His wife was younger by several years. They lost their only child at birth. Father raised the house with his bare hands, mother toiled the fields by day. He never spoke of the lady of the lake, the brush with death. Which caused him sway? Oh, oh, oh. The boatman made an honest living along the river's south side bank. Family gatherings, household trips from time to time. The river grew. Boldman took his wife to town Breathing heavy on the journey home Fever struck as the sun went down The sickness raged for several days The doctor rambled in despair The old priest read the sacraments Decay and death hung A coin for the mouth of his dying wife a duly placed beside the bed A knock on the door that moonless night the boatman feared the word had spread One port step, stovepipe hat, and long black coat, I come from the other side, he said. I carry souls in the ferryman's boat, the ferryman growled, I'll come for your wife, the boatman said, she ain't dead yet, the ferryman raised, I need her now, it's time that you repaid your debts. The boatman tried to make the peace. The ferryman spat and cursed and swore. As evil speaks, as evil must, he called the boatman's wife. Daughter fair betrayed her in a mire of sin. Mary, knowing of her fate, time has come for reckoning. The boatman said, No debt is due. The ferryman's rage could get no worse. It was me who called you suffering. The stillborn child and the ferryman's curse. Rising fear, the job is mine, the ferryman said, and slashed the boatman on the ear. The ferryman held a wicked knife, razor sharp, serrated blade, stamped at the boatman's arms and face, Terrifying were the screams he made. The boatman reads for his Bible to shield him in a violent fight. He reads for a log from the open fire and set the ferryman's hair alight. The ferryman fell to the floor in agony, dropped the knife on the boatman's bed. The boatman stabbed him in the, gut. the scream. The Flo and rain. the bed, holding his young wife's tiny hand, her eyes opened wide as the fever left, he gently stroked the wedding band, she sat up slow, looked all around, bared her pointed teeth and smiled, flung herself in the boatman's arms, I am with child, I am with child, They dragged the ferryman to his boat, placed the coin in the dead man's mouth. They signed and rowed to the other side. The ferryman's curse was the boatman's prize. The ferryman's curse was the boatman's prize. The ferryman's curse was the boatman's prize. The ferryman. The very man, because yeah. of the boy of the...
1: And this is our last track, and at the start of the show, we did promise another song from The Boy in the Sailor Suit, the album that's been reissued and expanded on uh, Cherry Red Esoteric. Just um, a brilliantly moving song, The Smile That You Left Behind. We talked about The Dad You Never Knew. Is, is that song that's got right.
2: there? Yep. He died when I was uh, six months old. And I've had this old photograph of him in a, a really battered mirrored frame for years and years. And one day I decided to take it out of the frame and just to, you know, see maybe I could get it, you know, wonder what it's look, it looks like underneath because I, I thought it would have deteriorated. The picture was as fresh as anything. Mm. And what the the mirror frame had covered up was the fact that he'd written I love you on his wrist. Oh. Uh, and to my mum. And I found that so profoundly moving to see that, that that came to me in a song, and there he is smiling at me. He's still in a picture, now he's in a picture frame on my bedroom wall, and I look at him and I say, OK, Dad, I'll see you one of these days. But, but it you know, it is one of those songs, and I listen to it, now and tears come to my eyes. Yeah, just just thinking about it, I'm afraid. But I, you know, if people have not never heard The Boy and the Sailor's as an album, it is very revealing about me as a person. It's, it's revealing about where I've been as well, because there was a song on it written about. I'm, I'm a great fan of, of Salvador Dali. Came up on stage with us when we played in Paris with Rick. Uh, which was extraordinary, but people don't realise I met him again when we were staying in New York when we were really very big in the 70s, and I I was wearing a really fancy pair of boots I had hand hand made in London, and I was checking into the hotel late one night when I had a tap on my shoulder, and turned around and it was Salvador Dali. He so said, "I really like your boots." And uh I said, oh, Mr. Dartley, it's very nice to meet you. I met you in Paris all those years ago. We had a little chat. And he gave me a bottle of wine, uh which was really sweet of him. <laughs> I forgot to get it signed, so we took it up the room and drank it. <laughs> but <laughs> I should never have done. But anyway, I've always been a fan of his. And I found myself going to Spain on holiday and realizing that I was near Cateches, uh, which is where he grew up. And went into the town. There's a statue of him there. And then got the boat along, or drove along rather, you can get the boat, to his house, which is very remote, in a little bay. And out came this song. you know. Uh, and in the middle of it, I was singing, and he'd named his boat after his wife, Gala. He, they had a boat, yes. and he called it Gala. And I called it, it's Gala, Can You Hear Me? I Am Lost, Dali is singing. And she says, Dali, I can hear you. you are lost. And the reason I wrote that is because I went to the museum in Figueres where Dali is buried in a vault there. And I just imagined him singing to his wife and shouting and then her saying, please help me, Gala. And she saying, you're lost, Dali. The reason I know that he was lost was because she she moved out on him, uh, moved into a, a sort of a huge house and she said the radiators need repainting so she called Dali and said will you repaint my radiators <laughs> so he said yes i will so he repainted them but he painted new ra- he painted them as radiators so darley painted <laughs> radiators on radiators <laughs> in her house i haven't been there yet but that's one of my things to do when covid when we beat covid oh. yes <laughs>
1: I assume uh, people can get more information about The Boy in the Sailor Suit and look out for news as it develops on, on the forthcoming album that you're, you're working on with Blue Weaver at Straub's Web?
2: Yeah it's, it's on Straub's, yeah, it's on Straub's Web. There's not a lot about the new album yet. Two tracks are actually finished at the moment. We're working on a the third. There's, the rest of them are all in a different degree of progress as we go along.
6: Yeah.
2: But it's not easy doing what we're doing we got Blue producing the album in Germany. There's uh, John Ford living in New York. There's a bass player called Shulk Joubert, uh, who's down in S- South Africa. He's contributed to it. Catherine Craig, Brian, one of his wife, is going to be singing a song with me. She, she's heard the song, but I keep changing the words. And so in the next week or so, she'll be singing that. That will then go out to the rest of the band, The bass will go on, keyboards will go on, and we build it all up that way. It's time-consuming but very rewarding.
1: Dave, uh, what a privilege and honour it's been to talk to you today and such remarkable, remarkable music and remarkable stories behind it. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure talking to you as well. Lovely to speak to you.
1: Pleasure. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: She looked cute. The dairy maid met the boy in the sailor suit. Will you marry me? He said on their first date. Sailor boys were never ones to wait. Two hearts entwined. I love you for the smile you left behind. Nine months to the day He joined the submarines For better pay He worked hard You can see the care he took I know Because I've read it in his book It's underlined Love you on the smile you left behind. Out of reach I saw his name And wept on South Sea Beach I framed a photograph That you had missed The words I love you Written on his wrist Life's so unkind But I love you For the smile you left behind I've so unkind. I love you on the smile you left behind
1: Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew podcast If you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much, plus any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.